Chapter 8 of The Orphan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Orphan by Clarence E. Mulford. Chapter 8 A Timber Wolf in His Own Country. When the orphan said good-bye to Bill, he sat quietly in his saddle for a minute, watching the departing stage, and wondered how it was that he had the decency to avoid a fight with the cowboys in the presence of the women. Then Helen's words came to him, and he smiled at the idea of peace when he would have to fight the outfit before sundown. The heat of the sun on his bare head recalled him from his mental wanderings, and he wheeled abruptly and galloped along the trail to where he remembered that a tiny blood-stained handkerchief lay in the dust and sand. Soon he espied it, and swinging over in the saddle, deftly picked it up and regained his upright position, his head reeling at the effort. Unfolding it, he examined the neat H done in silk in one corner, and smiled as he put it in his chap's pocket where he kept his extra ammunition. "'Peace and war in one pocket,' he muttered, grinning at his cartridge's new and unusual companion. Then he espied a Winchester near a fallen brave, and he procured it as he had the handkerchief. Describing an arc, he picked up another, discarding it after he had emptied the magazine, for ammunition was what he wanted. Two Winchesters were all right, but three were too many. As he threw it from him, he glanced through a slight opening in the chaparral and saw the outfit approach the stage. Then he galloped to where his sombrero lay, picked it up, and turned to the south for the Cimarron Trail. When thoroughly screened by the chaparral, he pushed on with the swinging lope which his horse could maintain for hours, and which ate up distance in an astonishing manner. He had lost time in going for his sombrero and the handkerchief, and every minute before nightfall was precious. His thoughts now bent to the problem of how either to elude or ambush his pursuers, and the Winchesters bespoke his forethought, for up to six hundred yards they were not a pleasant proposition to face. If he eluded the cowboys in the darkness, he was morally certain that they would take up his trail at dawn, and what distance he gained would be at the expense of the freshness of his horse. While he would average ten miles an hour through the night, their mounts, freshened by a night's rest, might cut down his gain before the nightfall of the next day. One of the Winchesters worked loose from its lashings and started to slide toward the ground. He quickly grasped it and made it secure, smiling at the number of rifles he had had and lost during the past three weeks. "'Funny how this country has been shedding Winchesters lately,' he mused. There was the five I got by the big boulder, which I lost playing tag with that deblanked crossbar eight gang, and here's two more, and I just left three what I didn't want. Well, they're real handy for stopping a rush, and I reckons that's what I'm up against this time. If I can find a likely spot for a scrap before dark, I may stop that gang in bang-up style to blank them." Half an hour later he caught sight of a moving body of horsemen to the southeast of him, and his glasses enabled him to make them out. "'Patches!' he exclaimed, and then he smiled grimly and continued on his way toward them, taking care to keep himself screened from their sight by rises and chaparrals. His first thought had been of danger, but now he laughed at the cards fate had put in his hand, for he would use the Indians to great advantage later on. He counted them and made their number to be twenty-two, which accounted for the five warriors who had pursued the stagecoach. 
The odds were fine, and he laughed joyously, recklessly. "'All is fair in love and war,' he muttered savagely. Before the Indians had come upon the scene, he had been alone to face five angry and vengeful men, and whom he had every reason to believe were at least fair fighters. Had the positions been reversed, they would not have hesitated to make use of any stratagem to save themselves, and here were two contingents, both of which would take his life at the first opportunity. He felt no distaste at the game he was about to play. On the other hand, it pleased him immensely to know that he was superior in intellect to his enemies. They both wanted blood, and they should have it. If they found too much, well and good, that was their lookout. And no less pleasing was the knowledge that he had sent them north and that now he could make use of them. He wondered what they had been doing for the last three weeks, and why they were still in that part of the country, but he did not care, for they were where he wanted them to be. Twenty-two mad Apaches on the warpath against five cow-rasslers, he exulted. More than four to one, and just aching to get square on somebody. That crossbar-rate gang will have something to weep about pretty to blank soon, and I sure hope they don't get tired and quit chasing me. He stopped and waited when he had gained a screen position from where he could look back over his trail, and he had not long to wait, for soon he saw five cowboys galloping hard in his direction. Another look to the southeast showed him that the war-party was now riding slowly toward him, not knowing of his presence, and they would arrive at his cover at about the same time the cowboys would come up. Neither the Indians nor the cowboys knew of the proximity of the other while the orphan could see them both. He glanced at the thicket to the west of him, and saw that it was thin, being a connecting link between two larger chaparrales. "'I don't know how you are on the jump, Bronk,' he said to his mount, "'but I reckon you can get through that all right.' The cowboys disappeared from his sight behind the northern chaparral, and as they did so he sunk his spurs into his horse and rode straight at the prickly screen and going partly over and partly through it, galloped westward as the war-party and the ranch contingent met. The shots and yells were as music to his ears, and he bowed in mockery and waved his hand at the turmoil as he made his escape. The Timberwolf had won. End of chapter 8